Welcome back to Tort Talk. This is the show that talks about, well, not just tort reform, which was what we've been talking about for the last three weeks or so. It talks about everything legal, news and interesting information, anything that has to do with the law. We discuss here on this show. And well, I say we, I'm Paul Stadden. I'm the person that asks the questions, who maybe stands in for you, the listener, processes the information, but the person who is the expert, the one you actually want to hear from, well, he's sitting across from me and he is the one who's on the other side of the room talking the other microphone. And that would be Terrence Gross of Gross and Schuster. Thank you so much for joining me today, Terrence. Glad to be back. And uh, if people haven't heard any of the most recent episodes on tort reform, you ought to tune in and listen to them because um, this is the fourth part of that series. This law was passed in March of 2023 by the legislature and immediately signed by Governor DeSantis. So um, I'm going to give one more feature we could talk about today, and it relates to what we call bad faith. Mm. Now, bad faith basically means that insurance companies should act in good faith. If you think about it, if Joe Blow causes a car wreck, then his insurance company that he paid for should protect him. That Their job is to protect him and not themselves. Now, a lot of times mm-hmm. insurance companies tend to put themselves first. Uh, let me tell you a, a story. Uh, my mother passed away several years ago, but right before she passed away, uh, she caused a little fender bender. She rear-ended some mm-hmm. guy, and mm-hmm. I don't even think she got her car repaired. And she was a little old lady down in South Florida with 500000 of insurance, so tons of insurance. And she got this letter, and she freaked out, of course, and then sent it to her son, the lawyer. And the letter said, Dear Mrs. Gross, this guy we think is a faker that you hit. He's claiming he had a surgery because of this accident. We think he had a pre-existing condition and that this accident did nothing. Uh, but we want to let you know that if uh, we go to court and uh, we don't prevail and they get an excess judgment, that you're going to be responsible for anything over 500000 Even though we <laughs> think it's remote, we just want you to know that. So she is freaking out. Right. Gives me the letter, and I wrote them back. Uh, the following letter. Okay. Dear insurance company, I got your letter directed to my mother. If you think that the case has any chance of going for over 500000 then pay it now. If you think you can prevail on this, fine. But as long as you understand you're gambling with your money, my mother's not a gambler. and, 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 and But it's all couched in terms of bad faith. And they quickly, I think they settled. I don't know if they paid 500 or not, but the case went away. <laughs> But the long story short is insurance companies are not supposed to look out after their best interest by law. They mm-hmm. should be looking after the clients. And and so a lot of companies would say, you know, if, I'll, I'll demand the 100,000 limits and they'll offer me $6,000. And I'll write them back a letter saying, well, you, you, I hope you've talked to your insurer and he knows that if we go for $200,000, uh, that you're going to try to say he owes the extra hundred. Uh, but meanwhile, if you're, you're the one that gambled with this money, uh, you should be on the hook. And that's what basically the, the, the doctrine of bad faith says it, it, it is a mechanism that can make insurance companies pay more than the policy limits if they haven't acted in good faith. Mm-hmm. And part of the law they, and the tort reform I actually kind of like, because I will tell you something. I went to a seminar 
in South Florida. I'm not going to name this lawyer's name. He's a very famous South Florida lawyer. And he was given this seminar. And it was basically how to set up insurance companies. And I'm listening to this thing. I'm thinking, this is making me feel pretty dirty. Right. Uh, and he goes this and this. And he had all these little tricks he was telling you about to make you know, where you had big damages and not enough coverage, trying to hope that the insurance company wouldn't pay it. And then you could try to, and, and, and I've never subscribed to that. I thought that I went out of that seminar feeling sleazy. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, I'm not an ambulance chaser. So I've, I've always believed this and I've taught my sons this. I said that I think plaintiff's lawyers, lawyers like us should always act in good faith. We shouldn't mm-hmm. hide the ball. Give the insurance company everything they ask for and more. You act in good faith. In turn, they should act in good faith. And if they don't act in good faith, then shame on them. And maybe they'll have to end up paying uh, excess damages. And, hmm. and, and there is a, a, a body of case law. So what they've done here is, is made some inroads to make it harder for lawyers to pursue bad faith actions. But I'm uh. just like my mother's case. After I wrote that letter, it settled quickly because they were a little bit more motivated, realizing that if it went excess, that, that Mrs. Gross wasn't going to pay that excess. And, right. and it was very clear. So if you take away bad faith, if you don't, and I'm not saying they took it away, they just, they've made some subtle inroads into it. But if you take away bad faith, uh, then even on a 10,000 limit, maybe an insurance company. Uh, won't have to pay. And let me give you a good example. I'll give you the, the best example I can give you. Uh, you mentioned earlier in one of our other shows about maybe uh, a county vehicle hitting somebody right, or whatever. Right. Well, that, that, that makes a lawyer think of what we call sovereign immunity. And we've talked about sovereign immunity in other shows. And there is a 200,000 sovereign immunity cap. So if a sheriff's deputy rear-ends my client and they have multiple surgeries... All the county would have to pay is two hundred thousand. Hmm. So they got a cap, an arbitrary cap that has never been challenged. The cap on damages was overruled on medical malpractice cases, but never on sovereign cases. So there's some kind of distinction there. So at the end of the day, I have found though that the doctrine of bad faith doesn't apply to so- sovereigns. So let's say I have a case that's worth four hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. by any measure that. Day in, day out, similar cases, and usually like a cervical fusion. If you get rear-ended, you have a cervical fusion, you owe 100000 in bills, you got plates and screws in your neck, those cases are worth four, five, six hundred thousand. It depends on the case, of course, but they're always worth. But I can see with a sovereign case, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll say, well, we're only going to offer you 150. I'm going, wait a second. You only got 200. I'm willing to take the 200, which is my client's getting shortchanged, but unfortunately the law's against us. I get that. and But they'll, they'll want, offer you 150. You know why? Because hmm. they're bulletproof. Because they, the jury could say a million, hmm. and all they have to do is pay 200. There's no bad faith against a sovereign. Hmm. So the point is, if you take away bad faith against all the generic insurance companies, then there's no motivation for them to do the right thing mm-hmm. because they they have impunity. Hmm. Okay. So that's a major ramification of what of, of of the new law. Okay. So then, 
what is the recourse that I the or the average person would have then? Uh, it sounds like none. It sounds like there's just zero. You know, I have a case where I need five hundred thousand dollars in surgery and ongoing care, but I'm just not getting it. And that and that's and that's that. There's nothing else I can do. Well. There is something we I've, I've talked about this in other shows, but it's also a reason why you should also have uninsured motorists. I mm, preach this to mm, each and mm-hmm. every uh, show I do, mm. and 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 you should have stacking. So if you and your wife have a vehicle each, and you have a hundred thousand of stacking coverage, one hundred plus one hundred is two hundred. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I think what it's going to lead to is more lawsuits, mm-hmm. probably more trials. If you talk to our average circuit judge, if you know any, and there's plenty in the area, uh, they will all tell you they're overworked. And they'll also tell you that we still have a backlog of personal injury cases from COVID. They're still trying to work oh through all gosh. the COVID because the courthouses were closed so long. There's still a backlog there, and the judges are just overwhelmed. And they still remember they got to do criminal, which there's always criminal stuff going on. Divorce is reaching an epidemic in, in, in the United States. So you, there's plenty of divorce cases and people die every day. So you got probate. So it's not like they're just doing personal injury cases. Right. But now if you're going to quadruple the filings of personal injury cases where lawyers like me who filed 10 or 15% of their cases at a time are now going to be filing over 50%, mm-hmm. uh, there is going to be a tremendous backlog and the and the judge is going to be miserable. So they've put all these mechanism, mechanisms in twenty years ago to try to lessen litigation. They put the losers pay rule in. They put mediation. All these things were techniques to try to discourage people from going to court. And now they're going to be making them go to court more. So it's it's unintended consequences. They do something, and and they don't see how far reaching. Uh, this is going to be so then hmm, this i don't know if this is a smart question or not but i'm going to go ahead and ask it because uh, i feel like i need to uh we talked about the statute of limitations going from four years to two years i believe that was in maybe the first episode of this particular series which is about three episodes now uh and yet there's a covid backlog does that statute of limitations impact these cases that have not yet been seen well by filing a lawsuit, you told the statute of limitations. Okay, okay. So it could then it could pen, be pending indefinitely. I got you. Okay, okay. Uh, so it's the filing of the lawsuit. But again, by filing a lawsuit, attorney's fees go up, mm. costs go up, and now you're going to get caught in a system that's backlogged, and it could take f- forever. So uh, I've always been successful uh, in resolving a lot of cases, good results, uh, without suing. And then we sue, you know, obviously us, we sue. I mean, you could check the courthouse records and, and see that we sue as much as anybody, but it's not like the 90% right. that, like you see in Louisiana. Right. Well, we're just about out of time, Terrence. You want to give a final word before we get going? Well, I, I've been doing this for 43 years. I'm board certified. I'm really sad to be commenting on all this yeah. court reform because it happened all at once and it became law immediately and nobody knows about it except for a handful of lawyers you now do and i'm glad about that if you wish to contact me call me at 
888-333-3333 or visit me on the web at grossandschuster.com. Now, if you have, this is your first episode listening to this show. There are a lot of episodes that you've missed. There are about 30, 35 episodes or so that you can go back and listen to. And for the past few episodes, we've been talking about tort reform and these new laws that were just passed in the legislature in March. And we've got a lot more episodes coming up. If there's a particular topic you'd like us to cover, just let us know and we will work uh, do our best to be able to work it in. So thank you so much for joining me, Terrence, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.